Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We'll be looking back at all the action from a high-scoring weekend in the Premiership. Then we'll look ahead to the Champions Cup quarterfinals this weekend. Plus, we'll be speaking to former Leicester and Leinster back row Shane Jennings as his two former clubs get set to lock horns. So settle back, enjoy, and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Jim, you've been in France catching up with an old sparring partner, have you? Yeah, I have. Earlier in the week. Yeah, my uh, good friend, friend of the show, Eban, Eben, Etzabeth. I was in Marseille, Toulon, basically Marseille, because that's the only place you can get to. I don't want to be horrible to Marseille. I know the final of the European Champions Cup is in Marseille, along with the Challenge Cup. What a shithole, I have to say. So <laughs> thankfully, I was out of there quite quick, but trying to get from Marseille train station to the airport was a bit of a faff. Anyway, the negative's out of the way, and it was a bit hot, and the coffee weren't great. And oh my God, the toilets were awful. But anyway, that's the negatives <laughs> out of the way. <laughs> Goody, the positives. There was a Paul's pastry there. That reminds me of you because every time we walked past one, you went and got a, a quiche and three. I went and got one and one. That was about as positive as Marseille got, but Toulon was lovely. That's where I went and met my sparring partner, friend of the show, Evan Etzebeth, this week. Did an interview for Rugby Pass with him. It weren't me best. In hindsight, it might come out all right. In, in hindsight, it might come out all right. Gone there solely for work, right? Obviously, big deal, big player, top five, hard as nails, arms absolutely massive like mine were in my prime. I thought you were talking about yourself then. Yeah, yeah, I kind of was. It's, we were very similar. <laughs> like we walked towards each other and it felt like I was walking towards myself when we did the showdown. I was a bit dusty and I've got a couple of people to blame for that. Well, one in particular, Jimmy from Budgie Smuggler. He were there in Toulon randomly. We were at a beach bar the night before just drinking these lagers, which after two or three, I'm thinking, getting to see me budgie smugglers. Like, I was that confident, even though it was coldish, that I was going to get in there and look all right. Basically, I had too many drinks the night before is what I'm saying. So it was a little bit dusty. There was a lot of people down the pontoon in Toulon. We were walking back and forth doing the interview. Randomly, Northampton fans, there was a few Scotland fans, Wales, Irishmen, Englishmen, and me and Evan walking through. So the interview's coming out soon. It was good to spend a bit of time with him, Andrew, and I can't joke, what an absolute monster. Well, that's what I was going to ask. 
obviously he filled you in when you played against each other and you're probably now half the man you used to be in terms of size because your Graves disease and all this. Did you put your arm against his arm and just say, look at the size of his compared to yours? Refused to do it. <laughs> the rugby pass lads wanted me to bring a tape measure and measure my arm versus his arm. Like, I ain't doing that. Like, I just, <laughs> it's credible media, but he's a friend of the show. He's been on, I'll tell you what, he's a lovely, like most people are, right? He is a lovely, lovely bloke. And I know we had our beef once, which is basically what I live on. We've had a joke on here about it or whatever. And that's my legacy is grabbing a few fellow big human beings on YouTube for me kids to see. But what a lovely bloke. Really, really is. And I enjoyed my few hours with him. We were chatting about the Watt bike. We were chatting about how shit France is. And we were chatting about South Africa and whether or not he's keen to play in the Six Nations, which he obviously is. So it was good spending a bit of time with him. And um, he was asking for you, Goody. He weren't. <laughs> Mate, you can't do the same gag twice and, and, and think it's going to be effective. There's a reason I didn't say anything. Before the podcast, he didn't even know you fucking were, son. So. <laughs> I know. I know. Goody, how's your week been, mate? Reacclimatizing to UK, the weather, work, real work and rugby work. So, yeah, back in the office on Wednesday, Thursday last week. Actually, playing the golf day last week for the RPA and the PCA. Played with Ryan Sidebottom. What a name, first and foremost. Sidebottom or front bottom? Well, any bottom you want. Sidebottom, his name is Ryan Sidebottom. Lovely bloke. Hell of a hairdo. Him and Jade Dernbatch so played golf with those guys last week as well, which was good fun. Good guys. Getting to know some of the cricketers. And then what, Saturday, well, I've been on the road, basically. And I dread to think the calories that have been pumped in me on the long journeys. I'm trying to work this out, Jim. So I did a dinner down in Brighton. Hove Rugby Club. Massive shout out to the Hove Rugby Club boys. They all love the podcast. Yeah, had a good fun with them on Friday night down at their dinner. Saturday, I then drove up to Beverly near Hull in Yorkshire, which was a good four-hour drive. And all the way home again. Got home at about 3.30 in the morning. What am I thinking? I dread to think the calories that I've destroyed in the car on the way up there and back. Do you eat a lot in the car or is it just me? You have to have a nibble, right? Yeah, you do. I think when you're in the car a lot, you do tend to eat. I mean, obviously not as much as you, but you tend to eat a lot of food. It's a lot of shit food, isn't it, as well? It's like sweets, chocolate. You'll be drinking cans of Coke because you love that. It's like you say, it's like water, similar to water. Coke Zero Cherry, mate, and water. Well, oh, there's no sugar in Coke Zero, is there? <laughs> but it is, when you're on the road, that is the thing. Hey, we're rock and roll, Andrew. That's what happens when you're on the road. And you do these after-dinner gigs. And talking of that... Uh, I know you did a couple this weekend. I did one on Friday night, actually, at Heriot's Rugby Club. They're tough, aren't they? Some of the rugby club ones. It depends the demographic. Now, Heriot's, it's a great rugby team, one of the best teams in Edinburgh. But the demographic in the room was split. I'd say the average age was maybe 60. And there was a lot of young lads in there. So you can imagine some of the lads in there that are about 110 years old. And women, they weren't <laughs> as old. But there was a couple of blokes in there that could have been about 100, 110 years old. And trying to service them. And we've been there together. We've done it individually. It's hard, isn't it? Because you've got the ones on the front row who are looking at me or us thinking, who the hell? What the hell are you talking about? And then you've got a group on the back row. And let's be honest, the only reason we're there is because of the podcast. And you've got the lads on the back rows just shouting, get your bush <laughs> Just screaming in your head. Where's Goody? Get his tits out. Like, as in, like, just going mad. And I'm trying to deliver funny stories, old stories, leadership stories, which I obviously ain't got a clue about. My first line was, I've stood up here and I said, for those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the greatest players we've ever done it. World Cup, three Six Nations and nominated four times for World Player of the Year. 
nothing. And I said, for those of you that do know me, know that that's a load of bollocks and I was one of the worst to have done it. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim, you've been banging on about summer rugby all over Twitter and whatnot over the last few weeks. You, you must have been happy with the amount of points scored over the weekend, 409 in the Premiership, the most in a round for 22 years. Good conditions for a bit of code, wasn't it, lads? Oh, code? Mate. Well, I've not been banging the drum about summer rugby recently, although I have. I've been banging about it for years, except when I was a player because I hated playing in the heat. And I'm not specifically saying summer rugby. It's kind of just gathered a bit of momentum that it's rugby, not in the wind and rain and freezing cold, effectively. So however that may lie, whatever the weatherman chooses to put that bracket of decent weather in, then that's what I think it should be played in. I've always said that. And I, it's not just for the tries and the level and how good it is to consume the games of rugby when the weather is like that. It's for the fan experience as well. Again, me and Andrew have spoken about this before. We've both played all around the world where rugby's played in decent weather. Goody's played in South Africa. I've played in South Africa. I spent a year in New Zealand. You look at the pre-season games, the tournaments and stuff that, that, that happen around. I've got kids. I take them to the rugby. And when the weather is decent, without stating the obvious... The fan experience is significantly, significantly, I ain't even got a word for it. It's not even comparable when the weather's decent. And then in answer to your question and the fact findings you've done on the points scored this weekend, it speaks for itself. Not only is it the number of tries or number of points we've seen, it's where the tries are scored, how they're scored. Been able to move the ball wide, wide, you know, little kicks going across that are sticking. Players been able to step, whether it be on a grass pitch or a plastic pitch. The product, in my opinion, it's not even close to what you see. And I'm a purist. I like scrums. I like lineouts. I like mauling. I like rucking. I like charge downs. I like all the stuff that's slowing the game, the nuances. But in order to grow the game, and also at grassroots level, when the kids are tipping on a ball that is 10 years old in the freezing, cold, wet, snow, like ooze I, I am passionate about it, and I'm going to stick to my guns on it. It doesn't necessarily need to be summer rugby, but it just needs to be decent weather. And now we're seeing that, and it kind of showcase the last few weeks oh, a couple of questions on that then Jim so while I'm with you in terms of the weather and all this stuff what would your proposal be then because you, you talk about summer rugby or whenever the weather's good we can't choose when the weather's good just to let you know <laughs> let's not forget you live up in Scotland and you know even in, down in near London where I live you know the weather is sporadic as uh, best now rugby at the minute the current rugby season in the UK is 10 months of the year so starts in September finishes in June You've basically got the summer tours in July and then in August it's pre-season training. That's all the rugby that goes on, right? So what are you saying would be a rugby season if it's summer rugby? And I, 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 listen, I, I'm not disagreeing with your point. What I'm saying is what months do we take out? Because it's, it's, it's not like we're only playing for three or four months a year, are we? We're playing for 10 months out of the 12 in the whole year. So you're going to have to play at some point in shocking conditions. I think, and many other people think, Ebenezer agrees, that there's way too many games. So if we're going to get into the crux of it, I think there's double the amount of games. I think 25 games a season, including internationals, maybe 30, if you could get it to that, is the maximum number of games. Any player, any team across Six Nations, across Autumn Spring Series, however you look at it, if you're Southern Hemisphere, Summer Tours and your club rugby, European rugby, I think 25 to 30 games is the max. And you fit that in between the Six Nations, you could have that as the start of the season. And yes, we know, February and March, we've seen snow, we've seen whatever, rain, 
shocking conditions, even move that into March and April and then finish it after the summer. That's what I would do. I don't think there should be any games over Christmas. Like I think the weather around then shocking going into January, November as well as we know. Some of the internationals are good. The stadiums are good though, aren't they? The pitches are significantly better. But I don't think kids should be playing rugby in the winter. As a parent and watching the kids play rugby, I think the growth of the game, the, the experience of... Imagine me going with all the kids and back, well, which I've done, in, in December, January, to a rugby tournament. It's absolutely hosing it down. You stood there under a umbrella, freezing cold. I completely agree. But the, the other thing is around commerciality of the game. And we're looking at a game that's, we've said it before, it's on its knees, on its tits, if you can say that. Financially, you take out a load of games... There's obviously less value for the clubs, but also actually at Christmas, it's some of the most lucrative games for clubs from a hospitality point of view, from a bombs on seats point of view. Really? Yeah. You look at every home game around Christmas, the big game at Twickenham, there's obviously 80 odd thousand there normally for Harlequin's home game. Every home game in the Premiership, they have their biggest crowds around the Christmas period. And that's because families get together, they want to go and watch stuff. So to take that out, and, and this is, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you, I'm just looking at the, the different points around the game and you know how you fit it all around the season when we're playing for 10 months a year effectively sometimes like we're going to be playing 11 months this year like the England internationals go through to nearly the end of July so effectively rugby players in England and I'm not saying England internationals per se but you've gone from starting the season in September finishing it in July there's only August left so which month do you take out if you're going to move the season you know, it's becoming a near enough a year-round game, isn't it? Which is madness, and where they have to restrict and start looking at the amount of games that players are playing and and getting rid of the, some of the dud competitions to try and actually improve the quality and the product that's on show. And sometimes Jim's right, less is more. But the reality is, we're going to have to play in shit weather, even if we think it's a summer sport. And then you're competing with other summer sports, big events. You know, obviously every couple of years is a big football event. Yeah, you've got Wimbledon that goes on. You've got holiday. People don't want to do stuff in July and August necessarily because that's when everyone's on holiday. So it, it's it's not as easy for me. Like I'm with Jim in terms of looking at it and saying, yes, you know, it's best played in good conditions, but it's not as easy as just shaking a stick at it and going, well, let's just move it to the summer because there's so much to get through. And as we said, we sat, we sat here in lockdown a couple of years ago and it was when we had all the debates around Bill Beaumont, Augustin Pichot mm. making the global season. Nothing's happened, has it? Literally mm. nothing's happened. So Of course it hasn't. That's two years later. So yeah, like I'm with Jim. It looks great. The product looks brilliant when the sun's out. But A, you can't guarantee sun. And B, actually, when you look at the commerciality of stuff, some Christmas time, there's some big fixtures. And you know that's when clubs make a, bit, a fair bit of money as well, which is you know they're going to be reticent to get rid of. Do you think Bath would want a little bit more summer rugby? I don't think they want rugby. I don't think <laughs> they ever want to play rugby again. Let's be honest. Some of them didn't want to be on that field. You know, I'm not going to single people out. You have a look back at some of the highlights of that game. There's some players on that field that didn't want to be on there, didn't put any effort into make tackles. They're jogging around the pitch to get across to try and make a tackle that they didn't even want to make. It's just, it was embarrassing. And, and to me, I did a column on it for Rugby Pass. It's a byproduct now. That is a byproduct of there being no promotion and relegation. And when Jim, you know, Jim factors in talking about need to play less games, I agree. The Premiership needs to go back down to 12 teams. And this isn't a knee-jerk reaction off the back of Bath getting their pants pulled down the skid. I mean, skid marks like you've never seen before in your life from Bath and Bath. I feel sorry for the fans because it was an embarrassment to the jersey. It was absolutely abysmal. My point is, if Bath were in the same position, but there was promotion and relegation, 
Do you reckon they're getting hosed by 64 points by Gloucester? Or are they going to show a bit more fight? There's no, no chance in the world they're losing by 64 points to Gloucester if there was something on the game. And that's the issue with... I understand where Premiership Rugby have gone with making it a 13-team league just to get through COVID, but it has to be brought forward that promotional relegation brings back in. We have to go back to a 12-team league and make the product better for it. On that game, I've played in a few of them games, and I think back to the build-up to them games, home and away for Gloucester, I can't even remember where we were in the league. We could have been mid-table, we could have been near the bottom, we could have been near the top, and it didn't matter. Us playing against Bath was the biggest game on the calendar. Historically, the history between the two teams, it was everything. It was absolutely everything. I know Bristol was a big game, but it wasn't a big game when I was there because Bristol were in the championship at the time. And it's almost one of them one-off games where it doesn't really matter where you are. Bath, you could be bottom. Gloucester, you can be top. It's a one-off game, right, because of the derby and the history between the two. And many people have said it, and we've gone hard at Bath. We've gone hard at Hoops before. Hoops called me out about going hard at him and, and having a joke. I'm going to say it frankly, right? And I feel awful saying it because it is easy to judge. I always say it, it's easy to judge and say you should be doing this, you should be doing that. Bath needs to get rid of Hooper. They do. And Ooh. whether or not that is him, it, well, it, look, look at it. You look at it, and again, you don't want to draw comparisons, but you have to, right, to Leicester. Leicester made a huge, huge call. I know Geordie walked effectively, however that looked. Jordan Murphy walked, however that looked, whether he was pushed, walked. I don't think they'll sack Stuart Hooper because of what he's done for the club. You can't play like that to a man. Bath were fully loaded in that game, or what they thought was fully loaded. You go through the team sheet. Well, Falatau was playing. He's one of the best players in the world. Tom Dunn, who's one of the best players in the Prem. You know, Danny Cipriani, a couple of years ago, was the best 10, one of the best 10s in the world. We were talking about him for England. You know, Ben Spencer played with him at Saracens. Now, I'm not calling these lads out. I don't want to call them out individually, but not one of them players. And again, it's easy because once you're in that cycle of playing touch and you just get enamoured. We joked about it before when we played against Wasps at Allianz Park a few years ago. I've been there before where every collision, they're making 10 metres. I was involved in the collisions. But we're talking about Bath, one of the biggest clubs in England, right? And you're talking about one of the biggest games on the calendar, and it's 64-0. Now, I don't know what they'll do with Stuart Hooper. I don't want to see... He's a young bloke. He's a young coach. Played against him, respect him massively. But you've got to say how it is. Mm. Look what Leicester did with Jordan Murphy, and look where Leicester are now. Look at Bath's players that they've got. Look who they've got. Look at the profile of the players. I know some of them are moving on. Anti Watson might be leaving, talking about going to Leicester, but... Andrew, come on, mate. You're good at calling a team out. Like, what What are you saying about that? Were you tweeting about it? it? It was a disgrace. Sam Underhill was the only one that, to me, was relentless in, in putting effort in. And then they take him off after about 60-odd minutes. Like, he's the only one trying, to be fair. Not the only one. But honestly, if you're a rugby fan, if you're a Bath fan, watch the highlights back, watch the game back, and just watch the effort of some of the players. And I'm with you, Jim. Like, you, you said then, Stuart Hooper's got to go. And you're like, oh, he's done a lot for the club. I don't know what he's done for the club. I really don't. As a, as a player, he put a lot in, in the jersey as a player, he did. Okay, yeah. But that's 10 years ago. So, you know, when you're a cut, you've got, you can only be judged on the job you're doing, right? Not the job you used to do as a player, which is a completely different job. 
and let's let's pick up on the words of of Rob Baxter last week. He said there's a lot of clubs towards the bottom of the Premiership that have been going through a reset for ten years, just bubbling in the bath. Shock him. They've got to one Premiership final. They used to be, you know, the one of the biggest clubs in the Premiership. They've been nowhere, and a lot of it probably boils down to the owner and how he runs things. You know, you hear horror stories about him watching Bruce Craig, watching training, trying to pick the team, trying to be in the changing rooms. He's a fan with money. And he's got a lot of it, and he's put a lot of it in the club, so you respect him for that. But Stuart Hooper's is is yes man, effectively. They need a clean sweep. Stuart Hooper's got to go. You've got to give it to Van Graham. The other issue is, it's their biggest ever defeat. Their chairman, what a joke of a bloke he is as well, Ed Griffiths. It, it's a shocking place to be at the minute. They need some huge changes, and if you know Stuart Hooper has to go because of it, then you know unfortunately that's professional sport. And there's no sentiment anymore. There's no loyalty. You know, If you're doing a bad job, what, what you know? Why do you keep getting employed? And and sounds harsh, but they're the facts of life in any job, in any job in the world. And I, you know, I'm talking in the corporate world. You know, we have targets on our head for what we do. If you get nowhere near your target, you're expected, you know, a bit of a rollicking and, and and perhaps lose your job. So these are the harsh facts of the world we live in now. And you know, you can't just give people jobs because they're nice guys and they played well for you ten years ago. Goody, how hard are you going to go on wasps? They let slip a 25 point lead for the highest scoring draw in Premiership history on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I said it before a few weeks back around Wasps. They're either sublime or ridiculous, and they can do both. It sums up their season, really. It sums up how they play. It, you know, some unbelievable passes of play. You know, Jack Willis was outstanding. His brother was brilliant as well. Dan Robson was on fire. Zach Kibarigi played really well. Malachi Fekatona was unbelievable. Francois Hugard rocked up and played unbelievably well on the ding a ling a ling a ling And they, they should have won that game comfortably, but then... They take the foot off the gas. And it's something that's always been there at Wasps. They can score tries for fun. They can entertain like you wouldn't believe. But the lack of understanding leadership to nut out a game is what is the difference between a champion team and a and an also-ran team. And, you know, Lee Blackett said it after the game, it feels like a big loss as opposed to a draw with a bonus point. So, yeah, I mean, I'm watching the game yesterday. I put the kids to bed. I watched it last night after I didn't know the score when I'm watching it. And I'm like, oh, happy days, boys are flying here. And then boom, yeah, fair play to London Irish. They had nothing to lose. Henry Arundel comes on, like he's about 12 years old, absolutely carves up from everywhere. Wasps take the foot off the gas, you know, looking around at each other as opposed to, you know, leaders standing up and, you know, London Irish do what they do. And we know we've seen it before from them, haven't we? And this is the beautiful thing about the Premiership. We've seen loads of... The, the game's never done and dusted, even unless you're Bath and you're 64-0 down. <laughs> but Irish, you know, they came back earlier in the season and drew with Sale at home when the game was dead and buried. You know, we've seen Quinns come back from massive deficits. This is the beauty of the Premiership at the minute around these games where the majority of them aren't dead rubbers like the Bath one where it was just a disgrace but Wasps will be absolutely frustrated with themselves like you wouldn't believe yeah I joked half joked half thought there's a chance of Wasps making top four if results went their way the other week and now they're staring down the barrel of because they chucked that game away at the death and you've got to credit London Irish for finding it within themselves to come back you know it was you know they're now not in the top eight position still so they've got to beat Sale in a few weeks time you know, to even try and get in the top eight now. What happens next season, Andrew, without Gopeth and Malachi Fekatoa? Who have they brought in, do you reckon? It's one of them. So I think I'm pretty sure Gopeth's going to Leicester. At some point, as a coach, you have to make a decision. And you mentioned about Anthony Watson earlier. As a coach, as a club, you have to make a decision on the value of a player to that club. Now, Jimmy's 38, 39. He's been an unbelievable stalwart. But 
if you've been offered a two-year deal somewhere and another club doesn't want to give you a two-year deal, that, that that's it. Uh, and you move on. So, oh, listen, the players that Wasser got coming in, obviously Vincent Cox, a massive name. I don't know who's replacing Malachi Fekitono and Jimmy Gopeth. I know we're looking for a centre. A lot of it is about balancing the books. Yeah, John Ryan's coming in, Vincent Cox, two very good tighter props with international experience. Older guys, but they'll certainly add some steel to us. Yeah, there are some signings coming, but it's not for me to say on here. But yeah, we, we're losing two big ones in Jimmy Gopeth and Malachi Fekitoa. But as great as they've been, you know, we're still not a top four team, are we? So those contracts naturally come to an end and people move on and, and you have to reinvigorate the squad and there you go. Well, Northampton Saints, they're a top four team at the moment. They've kept themselves in fourth place after a huge win over Quinns on Friday. Bit of a contentious penalty at the end though, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And again, I'm not wanting to swim. Was it? Down the canal. He had his hand on the floor, Andrew. So if you were looking at the laws of the game, Benny Kay spoke about it. He was like, it was a harsh penalty. I've probably seen a lot <laughs> this season <laughs> where players do that. But by the letter of the law, it's the terminology that Matt Carley used where he said it was no clear release from Luke Wallace on Lewis Ludlam. And that was the big thing from the game because it was so close. I mean, firstly, it was an unbelievable game. So it was. Class tries. Love watching Northampton. Can't work them out. Can't work out whether they're really good or just all right, because they've got the ability to play like that, but then not play like that. God, my insight blows my mind sometimes. But I thought they were very good. And again, the weather suited them. As we know, the pitch at Northampton is one of the best pitches to play in Europe. I thought Grayson looked really good at 10. Him and Mitchell at 9 and 10. Very, very good. And they scored some fantastic tries. And, and I always thought that Quinns were going to come back because they've got a tendency to do that, which they did. But it was the penalty which was the talking point at the end. But we saw some unbelievable skills. I mean, what about that kick from Marcus Smith? And Marchant was kept in by literally yeah. by Midgey's ball air. Can you say Midgey's ball air now or not? Yeah, can, of course you can. Midgey, Midgey. Exactly. Uh, it, was, it was great. It was an enthralling encounter. And it's interesting, we, we obviously spoke last week about who's going to be the fourth team into the top four and neither of us said Northampton. Jim went for Gloucester, I went for Exeter. And you're looking at it, they play an unbelievable brand of rugby. Some of the young kids they got in the back line, as Jim said, you know, I love watching Hutchison play when he's on form. Dingwall in the centre, Proctor on the wing. I know he's not a young English player, he's you know a, a Kiwi. They're classed to play and I'm looking at it and I'm watching you know Sam Vesti, obviously, who we played with for quite a few years at Leicester as a coach. He wants to play on the front foot, pinging passes out at the gain line with shapes on, very similar to how Pat Howard used to coach when we were at Leicester. And it's great to see. I just think they're, they've they got a couple of injuries that they picked up. They're too tight. Their props went off. I know Paul Hill got absolutely sparkoed. And it'll be a good thing now that they've got a few weeks off because they've got Saracens away next game uh, and then Falcons at home to try and get in the top four. But they are they play a, an exciting brand of rugby. But I said it a few weeks ago. Again, if you're a Saints fan, you must be so frustrated because when they're hot, you're watching them. They are they can be unplayable. Yet ultimately, you know, there's not perhaps the gump there at times to to maybe win the Premiership in terms of the all round game. James Grayson. I've said it for ages. I never get how when Dan Big is not playing, they don't play James Grayson there. They play Furbank who covers ten, but he's not a controlling ten. Uh, I really like the way James Grayson plays and. When he put the ball down on the tee to kick that penalty, and people go, oh, it's only from the halfway line. Northampton's pitch, let me tell you, I've been there, played there. 
kicked there. That is a monster of a kick. People will say it straight from the sticks from the halfway line. That's one of the longest pitches in the Premiership. And I've struggled at times in the halfway line there, even with all my weight. So for James Grayson to slot that over with everything that was on the line to win the game for them, etc., it was a massive nudge. So yeah, Quinns will be a bit frustrated and they got a little bit frustrated towards the end, didn't they? Danny Kerr got a yellow card for a bit of back chat to break the record of most yellow cards ever in a season. <laughs> They've got always got I mean, it in them, haven't they? That is one thing with Quinns that when there's a DNA and when there's a culture so embedded of talking rubbish and talking back to referees, <laughs> you can't change it. You, you can't change it. Danny Kerr, my old lad. I mean, hell of a stat though, isn't it? I suppose when you think about it. And it was an emotional build-up to Leicester's win over Bristol over the weekend as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And we'll talk about how they delivered because it was a easy win in the end. But yeah, seeing Tom Young's bring the match ball out, lead the team out. I mean, we've seen some sights, Andrew. We've been involved in some sights. Not all good at Leicester. But that was one of the most emotional sights I've seen having not been at a game. Like I could feel the emotion watching it on social media, which generally isn't a thing. Because I know, one, how good a lad Youngsy is. And legend gets thrown about all the time. Bloody hell, I've called myself it maybe a million times. When you talk about legend, Tom Youngs would be close to the top of that list. Not just as a player, as a bloke, but also everything as we know that he's going through. And I think you saw, to a man, players that would have played within four years. You saw Genji's embrace. As he came out as sk skipper, you saw every single play, you saw the referees, you saw the opposition players give him the emotion and that look to be like, you know what, you're a fucking legend, mate. I think what he's done for the club, I played with him, Goody, we've spoken about him. I played with him that same game that Ben Kay was talking about where he broke his leg and he was playing 12 and he carried on playing. I mean, not only is, was he an unbelievable player and a bloke, hard as, well, he's a farmer hard as absolute nails so yeah he's going to be a real loss for the game and it's credit if it was me and I was captain of Leicester through the time they were going in I probably would have walked right I would have been like it's done lads he stayed it out and I spoke to Deeks about him and he was like mate I'm telling you now this guy is the best captain we've ever had and we're talking about a club that had Martin Johnson as captain so the respect that he's got the love that he's got from the players coaches fans people around the world, well, you saw a snapshot of it at the weekend. To echo everything Jim said, I interviewed him probably about a year ago now. I played in that game as well when he broke his leg. And I was like, get up, mate, what's wrong with you? He's like, I broke my leg. I was like, get off. And he's like, fuck off, Goody, I'm staying on. I'm like, <laughs> okay, okay. Hardest bloke you've ever met. Nicest guy, unbelievable teammate. You know, would go to the ends of the earth for his fellow teammates. You know, him and Dan Cole of, you know, are really good friends as well. And... It's one of those things, you know, people are like, oh, it's, you know, it's all right to do that. You know, there's loads of players like that. But when you've been through what Youngsy's been through off the field, yet you're still leading everything at a rugby club through some of the darkest times that Leicester have ever been through. And you're trying to navigate through tough times, both on and off the field. You've got no outlet. But what a bloke. Never would have moaned about anything. And you speak to people at the club, you know, wanted to help and fix things at Leicester, wanted to be there for his wife and his kids as much as he can as well. And it's it's horrific what they've been through as a family. Seeing what he's done on the field over the last 15 years at Leicester has been unbelievable. And it was a privilege to have played with him at inside centre when he played there. It was a privilege to play with him when he played at hooker. And it was an absolute 
horror show to play against him when he came running around the corner off a nine trying to find a 10 to run over he was a wonderful player uh, a wonderful bloke and it was so emotionally charged wasn't it at the weekend seeing the scenes the whole of the stadium you know spine tingling to watch it so uh, yeah, he deserves every every pat on the back and congratulations for his career for his leadership and uh, you know he goes off into the farming world and we wish him tiff and the kids all the best because you know it's a, a real tough thing that they've been through and will continue to go through didn't you boys almost get banged out by him once when he was a junior player? I'd love to say it was Goody. It was actually nearly everyone that was involved in a robbery simulation that went wrong. Yeah, we definitely need the word simulation in there because it wasn't a real robbery. We did hire a van. We did put balaclavas on. We did go in camo gear. We did rock up to the <laughs> academy house and think, these lads are too chopsy. We are going to basically frighten the life out of them. And what happened was we all shit ourselves because Tom Youngs was there. Well, we didn't realise Tom Youngs was going to be as angry as he was and basically believed that the Ballyclavers were real burglars. I blame Will Skinner. Basically, Will Skinner's turned up in this van. We've all jumped out the back. We've stormed the house. We've got in there like we're going to rob the house. Coley's in there. Dan Cole, he didn't really flinch, but he looked a little bit scared like he was shaking. Ben Youngs was screaming. And then we just went into the kitchen and there's Tom Youngs and he's literally, he's like a raging bull to the point where Goody gave it all away. He lifted up his mask and as soon as he saw his mouth and his chin folded out the bottom, he knew it was Goody. But it was basically, he was like, let's, it's something like, let's be having you or something like that. And we were like, Youngsy, please don't. Please don't. <laughs> He'd have basically put about six of us in hospital. i never said anything like, some of the boys were literally crying saying you can have whatever what what we done i'm so sorry young z just came out swinging because I, I remember going in i was like take the kit bag i'm taking the kit bag and coley's like you, you can have the kit bag you can have the kit bag where are the watches where are the watches but obviously dan cole didn't spend any money so he didn't have any watches and he tried to tell us that he didn't have any watches but the funny thing about that was is it went wrong and then the police turned up as well i remember will skinner let's just say he got locked up for a week he got locked up for a day or so God, they were good times at Leicester. We need like an old school Leicester kind of story time. It'd be unbelievable. I mean, we might get in trouble. Well, I definitely would get in trouble at home. But yeah, bloody good times. And another headline out of that game was Chris Ashton becoming the highest try scorer in premiership history. It's interesting, Jim, because you claim to be the oracle. You talked about Bristol not making the top four, Exeter not making the top four. And some things you're right. But in other things, you said that Chris Ashton would only end up playing at Doncaster or somewhere like that earlier in the podcast, didn't he? And he's gone to Leicester and fair play to him. He breaks the record, hat-trick of tries. What a player. What a player. As much as he's the lovable rogue and people don't like him, people love him. I messaged him on Saturday morning because I just had a feeling it was going to be done and dusted and then he goes and scores three. So, um, yeah, all started with ripping your blazer, Jim, didn't it? It did. I'm very happy for him. He did the interview after and I can't take him seriously because he's speaking like he's been taking sleeping pills after because he's trying to be all posh. Bloody loved it. I absolutely loved it. I'm happy for him. I know we've joked about it on here. He should be at Doncaster. No, he shouldn't. He's at the top club in England at the minute, maybe even in Europe. Who knows? And I was, I'll was i be honest, and on art, it's a big art, powerful. And I was very, very happy for him at the weekend. So Ashy, the lovable rogue, you're welcome, big fella. The only issue I've got with it, though, did not see the ash splash at all. He had two opportunities. Embarrassed by it, he told me. And it basically came down to, he brought a book out called Splashdown or Shitdown or something or Shit Splash. <laughs> and I think it sold three books. I think he sold three books. <laughs> and it was all to do around that splash. So not only was he embarrassed about that, he was embarrassed by 
doing it and that becoming his legacy. I mean, I'll like it, but yeah, he doesn't like it. Well, maybe our next guest has got a few stories for us because speaking of the Tigers and your time there, we can have a chat now with former Leicester man and teammate of both of yours ahead of their Champions Cup quarterfinal this weekend. Former Leicester, Leinster and Ireland flanker Shane Jennings joins us. How are you, mate? How you doing, lads? You well? Shane, no. Very good. Mate, you look like you're in a scene of jailbreak. Where are you? <laughs> or in jail. Prison break, that was it. Jailbreak, prison break. I tried to sort out the background settings to have some kind of good looking office, but I'm in my kids' room here, so that's the pink ribbon. So I excuse it. Rock and roll. Uh, Jeno, it's class to have you. It's been a while. And we were just talking about Tom Young's at the weekend when he brought the match ball and led the team. What a legend. I know you've played with some absolute legends. Where would Youngsy fit into that list of names? It was funny. I was just looking at the squad there. There's, I think there's probably two lads that. I would have played but when you lads were there as well and Tom Young's was one, Ben, his brother I think was 16 at the time and then uh, Coley, so those three lads were there and I remember he was playing centre at the time when we were in the club and he was dominating Monday night footballs. I just remember him as a, as a good man and then I remember seeing him obviously from afar doing well with Leicester in England and his family's associated with the club for years just like Smithy Zelfel and all these kind of fellas so you need fellas like that in the club and it's nice that he's done out the way he wanted to do with his family and his brother and all that. So good luck to him. Yeah, absolutely. Jenna, we'll come on to the game. I just want to talk more about your time at Leicester. I mean, it just feels like it was literally a lifetime ago when yourself, Leo, Johnny Murphy, Frank Murphy, uh, Ian Humphreys, we had a real kind of strong Irish contingent in what would have been for you probably quite an intimidating environment. Eh? you got a load of Le Leicester mongrels you know, who were kind of born and bred from there, who had a different way of life. What was your memories like of, of, of playing for Leicester in that time? Because we were unbelievably successful as well. I don't know how, but we were. Ah, no, we had a great squad. My God. So I arrived over and I was out in Torp Astley, isn't it? Out kind of on the <laughs> outskirts. I was living with Suru and uh, the Tongan hooker, Effie. So I just arrived there and Cabbage was my mentor or my chaperone. He was picking me up, <laughs> bringing me into training. So... No, it was an eye-opener, and uh, I remember your Opal Astra Jimbo with pumped-up or zooped-up wheels and everything, you were rocking around. <laughs> no, they were, it, gee, like, it was amazing. I think I was 23 coming over, so I was pretty wet behind the ears, and good squad, good training, good standards. What's it called? The young man's dressing room on the right as you go in was serious crack. It knocked the spots off me, and I certainly learned a lot, like Goody said there, yeah. We definitely robbed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some, some of those memories, just going rewinding before you came, the truth is, from what I remember, is Backy obviously had seen you and played against you a little bit uh, when he was coming to re retirement. Is it true that he got Leicester to sign you? I don't know how true that is. That's the story is. I, I remember we played you, so I was at Leinster. We played you, I think, in a quarterfinal in Lansdowne Road, and you pumped us. And the story was... I know. I played. <laughs> And I didn't. <laughs> and, and the story was that they were doing their video prep. That was it. There was a, the seven that year. Keith Gleason was injured. He had broken his leg or broken his arm. He was out with a bad injury. So I played quite a few games. Paddy just said, here, listen, would you fancy coming over? But I had no interest in coming over. I was hoping I was going to stay, but Leinster weren't too keen to keep me. So I went over and signed. And uh, I remember a few months later, Paddy was saying, oh, yeah, this is some of the footage we were watching of you before. And uh, he showed a try of a guy called Niall Ronan who was playing uh, some game for Leinster. And he thought it was me, Niall Ronan. <laughs> Unbelievable try. He came in with this brilliant line, did a chip over, caught it. He goes, see, that's what we want to bring you. Uh, we want we want that for like, you want, Jesus, we want you to bring some of that to Leicester. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. 
<laughs> so I don't know whether it was intentional that they wanted him or they wanted me, but anyway. Do you remember what you won, Jeno, when you were at Leicester? Do you remember what the trophy cabinet looked like when you left? I mean, I know that you played in the 2006 game against Sale. I don't know if you remember, but I scored an unbelievable try that game and we still lost. But anyway, details around that. Do you remember that? Do you remember that game as a start or not? Do you remember my try? Absolutely. I remember... Uh... I think the first comp we played in, I don't remember the tribe, but I remember us, I think you might have played in the sevens. We went down to uh, Middlesex sevens was the first thing. How did Jim play sevens? Tell him. Jim was running the water. He wasn't playing sevens that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but like that, we uh, got beaten by Sale the first year. Uh, they were a good team, though, to be fair. They had some serious players. And then the next year... Uh, we beat Ospreys in the whatever it was called back then. EDF. EDF. And then we run a premiership against Gloomy Pump Gloucester in the final. And then we uh, we were flying. We beat Wasp three weeks before in the league. We were going well. We were winning quarterfinals, semifinals, finals for about a month and a half. And then they did a job on us. They pumped us on that final. So bad way to end. But geez, yeah, we did well. We got a few trophies. Or we were there, thereabouts in most competitions as well the year before. Do you remember the bus journey? Back, Jeno, after we got beat by Wasps. <laughs> he does. He's laughing. For the listeners, if you can't hear him laughing, he's laughing. So let's see if he remembers it. Come on. What do you remember, Jeno, about the bus trip back? Do you remember the next day when everybody was heading off on tours, myself and Leo and uh, Jordy would have been going off to Argentina and a few of you lads would have been going off with England and Scotland or whatever it was, and you rocked up in your fancy dress with a few of the boys? I do remember that, yes, because I remember doing the 2K rowing challenge and I basically got an Olympic time and I had to chop a can of beer between every 500 metres splits. So that's all I remember from that, me talking myself up again. What do you remember? I have a different memory, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, there, there, was, there was a slight altercation in uh, the clubhouse the night before with a few of the boys and... Uh... I think you all went and you spent a night somewhere. Me and Sarah Rambaley spent a night in the um, local Leicester Constabulary Hotel. <laughs> in fancy dress. Well, you say fancy dress, there weren't many clothes left. Leicester had this thing, I don't know whether Leinster were the same, Jenna, that they liked to take each other's clothes off by ripping the back pockets of the jeans or the trousers and the front pocket of the shirt. So basically you just ended up knocking about in your pants. But I think when I saw Jeno and Leo's face, I was just thinking... They've never seen anything like this in their lives. <laughs> I think that's a fair comment. And I don't know if many clubs are like that as well. I think it's pretty unique to Leicester. You must have some uh, stories from your time on Jim. I know you mentioned Jim ending up in the local constabulary, but uh, what, what was Goody like to play with? Oh, Goody was excellent. He used to have all his little idiosyncrasies and things before games where he wouldn't put his top on. He was always got his red underpants under his shorts or whatever. He had, he had all the kit. And now the one thing about Goody, he delivered on the day and that's why I always liked playing with him. Uh, wasn't the best defender and he'd admit that. And he would, he'd always make sure that the seven would get out to make sure that he made the tackles. And he was right because had to get back in the defensive line but uh no goody turned it on and we had good times and we had a, honestly we had a brilliant squad we had such a good squad a really top bunch of lads as well like we had so much fun off the like i said that junior dressing room was great crack and the senior boys understood it as well and just good bunch the lads who were away with england or any internationals knew that they when they rocked up on a tuesday away or a tuesday or monday when they were back that was their focus and that was their priority and that kind of led the way and 
even in my position and Jimbo, you know, obviously all your mates like Abo and these kind of guys throughout the years, the local lads were the key to it. So Harry and Brett Deeks and Lou Deeks and the two boys here, I know they're not Leicester, but Cowboys, those boys in the area, that was the thing that I kind of understood immediately when I arrived is that, do you know what, this is their home. It, this is what it means to them. You have fellas like Cockers and I know Wig was there at the time as well, but was coming to an end as a few of the older boys were. And they made sure you understood that. And, nobody was given out once the effort was put in and uh, I think we put in the effort and we always had a, a bit of a laugh as well those bus trips were great crack there I, I never went down the back of the bus I was smart enough to leave it off so I don't have any stories about getting filled in at the back of the bus so what you're saying Jeno is and every seven that I ever played with had phenomenal international careers because <laughs> I because I refused to tackle right so I made you a better player so when you got the big <laughs> deal to go back to Leinster and then get capped by Ireland it's basically down to me being a shit defender right and making you do all the work Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> How does Goody compare to like a Johnny Sexton? Oh, similar. <laughs> Same thing? <laughs> I think that's that's the beauty, isn't it? There's there's not that many people that are like Johnny Sexton. There's not that many people that are like Goody. Just like there's not many people like Jimbo or myself. You know, you know, you need individuals. And everybody says he's a bit of a, a barker and he's order. Johnny's a great bit of crack as well. And you need that as well. And, and what you see in the pitch is just a competitor. I think like all of us, he's matured over the years in terms of he's coming to the end. And when you're coming closer to the end, you understand it a bit better and you've got a bit more perspective. And I think that's where, that's where he is at the moment. And he wants to go out in a high, but he's not like Jimbo or Goody where they've had, what, six or seven clubs each. He's been a one club man. So, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Jeno, yourself and Leo and a few others, but you two specifically le left a lasting legacy at Leicester. Whenever anyone speaks about you, it's always in such an, an amazing way. For me, Leo Cullen was the number one person at Leicester, whether or not the Scotland fans will be happy about this, but taught me all I knew. Told me to become a line-out caller, said, look, you are what you are. Just be very good at the things that you are what you are at. And I look at Leo now, how well he's done at Leinster, the humility that he's had to be able to put that team underneath him. Not looking for a headline here. I don't know how much you speak to Leo, but there's talk of Borthwick potentially going away with England at some point. Do you think there's something within Leo Cullen that would like to come back to Leicester one day? Because when I see him now, there's that connection because we played at Leicester at that time. You know, there's that kind of emotional connection. It seems like he really enjoyed it when he was there. Uh, Jimbo, I'm not, I, I don't know, I'm not speaking on behalf, but I know he did love it. So we were living together for, I think, probably a year when we were there together. Both of us, genuinely, I have such a connection with the place and I love watching Leicester now and always had an eye on them when we were playing and I never really wanted to play Leicester when I was playing with Leinster because I knew how good the club and the team were because you knew you were going to be in for a tough one. But even now, like that, I'm going over at the weekend. I can't wait. I have never been back since uh, I played there. So I can't wait to see the town, the stadium, go down Queen's Road where I was living and things like that. And just fond memories. And like you said, a connection. And, and that's down to the, the blokes and the team that were there. And like I said, another bit of the connection, and I don't speak to Deeks like, at all really, but it's just nice to see him doing well after a tough couple of years with the club, with Jordy obviously, and going well. And it's great to see Leicester doing well because... I think to me, I'm obviously biased. They need to be at the top of the English uh, pile because to me, they're, they're the best around and they need to maintain that standard. So for Leo coming back, I've no idea. You know, he's done so well here. And when you're a professional game as a coach, your ideal job is probably your hometown club or your country. And after that, what do you do? So I'm sure he'll have options, but whether or not he wants to do it, I don't know. Well, let's talk about this weekend then. Shane, first and foremost, we'll get to the rugby in a minute. 
plans for the weekend. You're coming over with some mates, aren't you? I'm going to interview you in the um, the Champions Club pre-match, but how many beers are you going to sink in Leicester this weekend? I think you two know that I'm not the biggest drinker, so uh, <laughs> I'll be just... I was hoping that changed now you've retired. No shamungus or whatever you lads used to drink back in the day. Astros. Astros. Yeah, the, the old triple Bacardi breezes or whatever they were in the in the glass. No, so fly, flying over on uh, Saturday, it's a mate's 40th, so we're bringing them over and uh, two of the mates. And like you said, to go to the lunch before and get the game and then we're flying out the next day. So not the, not the longest visit, but it should be good fun. I can't remember the name of the bar we used to go to. Was it the Terrace? Is that still there? The Terrace, mate. The Terrace is still there. I genuinely think if you rock up to that with Leo, you might be banned because I'm sure that Leo's still banned from that place. <laughs> Were you there that night that I got beaten up outside the Terrace? There was an all day or one day and myself, there was a pub up by Queen's Road and the park or Victoria Park and myself, I think it was Moody, Jordy, and Leo. There's a few of us anyway. And few of us straggled into town and someone said the wrong thing to somebody and it was like in Tom and Jerry skit. There's just a big ball of people. So I went out like the peacekeeper I was to go outside to see if my teammate was all right. And I ended up getting filled in by some bird with a stiletto around the back. Cut my eye out <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then literally about five people just kicking lungs out of me. So we went back the next day to apologize to the bouncers because we couldn't really remember what was happening. So went up and he said, hey, listen, I'm sorry. What was, did we do something? He goes, no, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then he showed me the footage. And it was like, I was like a rag doll getting beaten up, thrown around <laughs> up and down the road. So it'd be the first time I'm back since then. So that put in the foundations effectively for you to become one of the best sevens on the circuit after that, wasn't it? Like after that, it made a man of you, if you can say that nowadays. After getting beaten up by a girl with a stiletto, yeah. <laughs> so, hey, if in doubt, just blame your mate. It was Leo Cullen's fault. So you might not be allowed back into Terrace, that's for sure. What do you make? I know you're not watching huge amounts of rugby, Jenna, but Leicester, top of the league now. They've done so well in Europe. They're up against Leinster, who, again, we say it every single year, just don't bloody get challenged. They just win comfortably. And when it comes to the big, big games we've seen in recent years in Europe, they've struggled because they're, you know what I mean? They've, they've not been tested all year. Yeah, I think the question mark, not like you said, I keep an eye on it. And I like watching the, the Premiership. The standard's good. And it's nice to see, like I said, Leicester doing well. I think where Leinster fell last year was the kind of the powerful La Rochelle, front five or pack basically kind of bullied them and you know that hurts for a player to kind of realize and I think they've learned hopefully a lot from that and they're going in like this is this is an unbelievable game between and these two teams the top and I don't know which way is the right way in terms of preparation with Leinster resting some of their their big players the younger guys did well in South Africa in terms of just getting some experience but Obviously, Leicester are a battle-hardened team and they had a big win last week. I didn't see the kind of team sheet where there was many other regulars, but week in, week out, you become kind of pretty honed for big games, tough games. And I think the same question is there with Leinster in terms of are there a few big lumps in the tight five that they can handle? I think this number eight is a visa who plays for Leicester. If he's yeah. playing, he's a serious operator. They'll have to try and stop him. But Leicester have a few really solid players and if they can get them... If they can control them, they'll they'll go all white. But massive game, it's going to be brilliant. And obviously, you're coming over for your mate's fortieth with uh, a fair few other Dubliners, I'd presume. Who are you supporting? That's who I need to I need to know who you're supporting because I'm going to ask you before the game as well in the in the corporate. And you, it's either cheers or booze, isn't it? You're a Leinster boy. You you made a decent fist of it and, and went exceptionally well at Leicester as well. 
tied emotions or you, you, you of course there is a little bit a little bit i'm a leinster lad and when leinster aren't playing it's leinster but when leinster are playing it's leinster all right shane well best of luck for the weekend and uh in the corporate lounge with goody cheers lads look forward to it cheers mate see you saturday awesome buddy cheers lads good luck top lad yeah he is he is nicest guy ever uh, do you know what i remember when jenno came over he was the nicest guy off the field and he was an unbelievable player on it. But you talk, we talked then about the Leicester culture and basically kicking the shit out of each other day in, day out. And he didn't have that kind of mindset around... He was a lover, not a fighter, but an unbelievable open side flanker. So it's actually this, the opposite of what a, a Leicester mongrel forward was in terms of his persona and how he was. But geez, my God, what a player. The ball skills on him, he was phenomenal. Yeah, Jenna just kind of warmed to it because I remember him thinking what the fuck is going on here him and Leo and probably Leo is more suited to that because of the way that Leo played and looks right and, and looks yeah and looks he's, he's actually he's, he's aging he's aging all right now he's aging all right compared to you he is anyway Goody the thing is with them two and I said it to Jeno they left a lasting legacy like whenever I see you know anything to do with Jeno or whenever I see Leo there's just that kind of nod is like in my opinion, I'm nodding at two absolute legends who had a huge effect on my life, not just on the pitch, but off it as well. So pleasure to have him on. Big shout out to you, Jenna. Love you, mate. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was... A kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. And we were just chatting to him there about Leinster, and uh, they lost in the weekend, didn't they, 
gym in, in South Africa, but the playoff places look like they're all sorted, aren't they? Yeah, playoff places all sorted now. And of course, Leinster top the URC. They've done it comfortably, to be fair. And I know you mentioned the game against the Stormers there. They sent a second team out, arguably even a third team. None of the lads that will be playing against Leicester at the weekend, and they nearly won. I say nearly won. They didn't get hammered, which a lot of people thought they would have done with the second, third string team. And that shows you how good this Leinster team are. And this is the worry for the rest of the competition because when it comes round to the knockout stages and the way it'll work out in the URC, one plays eight, two plays seven, etc. I mean, who's going to beat them? And you look at the way that's going to unfold now, <laughs> the poor Scotland teams. So Edinburgh in eighth and Glasgow in seventh. They play against each other at the end of the season. And obviously the loser then plays Leinster. <laughs> oh God. Don't worry, because the winner then plays Munster or the Sharks. Or the Stormers. Or the Stormers, yeah, exactly. So the Stormers can obviously come back through as well. But I think the competition will be good at the back end of this season. I think what we're waiting for, speaking honestly, it's been a bit bitty all year for the URC with the South African teams coming in, with the COVID stuff that we've had, with some of the games having to be rescheduled, some of them being played during the Six Nations. It's been a bit bitty. But the race now to the playoffs, as you said, the, the, the top eight have been established, but the race now to the quarterfinals where one plays eight, two plays seven, that's when it's going to get really interesting. Yeah. And then it's going to come down to the semis. And then, like we said, the final is probably going to be in Leinster, let's be honest, in Dublin. And who can beat them? And I think when I look at the profile of them teams, we know that Ulster can do it. We know that Munster historically have done it. But I would love to see a fully loaded Sharks or Stormers team because they're the two out of the three South African teams in the top eight with the balls being in there as well. They're the two that I think on their day could really do something special. So again, Leinster, unbelievable. Also had a big wing in Edinburgh against Edinburgh, fully loaded, had to defend for their lives. Edinburgh threw everything at it. Uh, Ulster obviously a bit pissed off from the week before having lost in their game against Munster. But yeah, I think I'm looking forward to the, the back end of it. Hey, in decent weather as well. And the thing on that, Jim, is you're obviously turning your back on hashtag always Edinburgh because you're not giving them a hope in hell of beating either Leinster if they finish eighth or Munster, the Sharks. The Storm. You, you're not even backing your own team to try and topple a big team? They ain't been as good back end of the season. Neither of Glasgow, if we're being completely honest. Uh, they've had good seasons, both of them. Like There's nothing in it. You look at the the way that the points are... If we go back to that Edinburgh-Glasgow game, the last game of the season, whoever finishes seventh or eighth, the winner of that game gets automatic qualification into Europe next season because of the way that it works out. Because Scotland are in there with the Italian teams, so the winner of that will top that plate, pool, conference, whatever you bloody want to call it. So there's a lot riding on that game, and this is the question mark around the URC and how it's formatted. One of the Welsh teams, thankfully not the Dragons, get a direct route into Europe qualification, even though it's only the Scarlets that are in ninth who finished highest. And one of them Welsh teams get automatic qualification because of the conference that they're in. So there's a bit of side hustle for you. Good detail. Good detail. Shall we have a look at Europe then? The quarterfinals, Champions Cup quarterfinals predictions. Where should we start? Munster to lose. What do you guys think? Yeah, Munster to lose is a hard one to call because we've seen frailties in this Toulouse team this year. Whereas you go back, they obviously won it last year, beating La Rochelle at Twickenham. And when you list off the, the players in the squad, you know, the likes of DuPont, the likes of Untermack, Thomas Ramos, you know, the forward pack they've got, the Arnold boys, you know, Marchand, they're world-class players. Yet 
We've seen Ulster dust them at their own place. We've seen them struggle in the top 14 as well. So it's a real tough one to call. I, th- I think probably when you look at it on paper, Toulouse should have a little bit too much, but it's, again, the monster factor. I don't, I'm, com- I'm confused now because had it been at Toman Park, I reckon I'd have backed Munster to win there. But the fact that it's the, at the Aviva and Toulouse actually beat Munster at Toman Park, I think it was last year, in the knockouts... I don't know, maybe Toulouse. I'd convince myself that Munster were going to do it because it was all a bit of feel-good factor there. Diolande's an absolute monster. Uh, and now the Aviva, I'm sticking with it. Munster, I'm still going to back Munster. I'm going to back Munster as well. And if not, we could just blame Ed Sheeran. It's a really <laughs> easy out. It's a really so, easy excuse this weekend. I want to see Munster win. Obviously, Wigs Valley was on here. Or McWig, what are we calling him now? He's Irish. Graham O'Rountree. Graham, oh, oh, O'Rountree. I want Munster to win. I'm backing them. I think they're a team that are coming into a bit of form at the business end of the season. With Van Graham going as well, that can have a kind of adverse effect on the team. But now they know they've got Graham O. Roundtree. They're going to be more settled. So I'm going for Munster. Close game. Sending off for Toulouse. I don't know why I'm being horrible, but that's where I'm going with it. <laughs> what about the Welford Road factor for Lister and Linster? Oh, Heart and head this one, isn't it? I want Lester to win so bad. So bad. They've overachieved this season with what they've got, with Borthwick coming in, with everything that's happened. They're playing at their absolute max. I'm with Geno on one point, the point that I made and asked him about <laughs> Leinster not being challenged this year and Leicester literally all guns blazing, even in the Prem Cup up until last week. They were fighting on all fronts, right? This year, they've mixed their squad. Their best players are on form. George Ford's been playing the best he's played. Youngs he's playing well. Even when Freddie Burns comes on, he's, he's been playing exceptionally well. Jasper Visa, one of the best players in the Prem. I mean, Montoya at hooker. I mean, it's Genji. Again, we can start reeling off the names. And then I'm thinking, in my heart, I want them to win. But I'm looking at Leinster. I'm like, how do you beat this team? Mm. And teams in the past have shown, like we've mentioned, Saracens have beat them, Ulster have beat them recently. Physically, you've got to be at that level. And I just wonder whether Leicester, even with the players that I've mentioned, have got the 80-minute physicality and accuracy. And we've seen a few line breaks in defence. There's been a few leaks around there. There's no doubt they've got the talent in terms of the profile of players. But just that squad of players have done so well. This is knockout rugby, which a lot of them have not been in against a team that have been in it for the last five or six years. Oh, fuck it. I'm going to go for Leicester I don't, because I want them to win. So I'm going fan now. I'm going fan. All right, I don't want to be expert here. I'm going fan. I'm desperate for Leicester to win. It is head and heart. I, I think the difference, though, and I sound harsh saying this, I, the difference is the back lines. Yeah, Leicester have got a monster pack, haven't they? When you, when you reel off some of the names, obviously, Genge, Montoya and Cole in the front row, presuming Coley starts, or Joe Hayes. Jasper Visa in the back row has been unbelievable. There's some brilliant players there and they will test Leinster with that sort of type five dominance where Leinster have come up short previously. But you're talking about this Leinster pack now. Like their front row, they've got Tyg Furlong, best title in the world probably. Kelleher's fit again at hooker. Second row's an area of weakness for them because of the injuries. James Ryan hasn't played since Charlie Ewells knocked him out in the Six Nations. Yeah, but then the back row is crazy. And I think where the point of difference for Leinster is... They will get parity. They will get a lot of ball. You talk about Jameson Gibson Park at nine, Sexton at 10. You know, in the centres, they're going to go Henshaw and Ringrose. 
that is the point of difference. You've got James Lowe on one wing. I just think, you know, and it's interesting for, for Leicester, what selection do they go with? Nandolo's, to me, got to be in the team whenever he's fit. It's a massive game. He's a huge point of difference physically. Chris Ashton scoring tries for fun. You'd have to play them too. If we want to get into the crux of it. Would you though? Harry Potter. It comes down to games in which players have just done it. In recent years, you've got to think with Ashy, he's won European Cups, he's won premierships galore. He's done it on the biggest, biggest stage. You know exactly what you're getting. I'm not saying that yeah. Harry Potter, who I'm a massive fan of, I think he's been fantastic this season, but I think the joy of Leicester in the player like Ashy and then Dolo as well, you've got that experience as well. And I think in these big games, Andrew, as you know, you see here, I'm a little bit kind of burnt with my past because I kept getting told experience, experience, experience. That's why I missed out on the big games. So that's why I'm hitting you with it now. But you had 60-odd caps with Scotland, so surely you were more experienced than the other two. Cocker said it was like having one cap for England, though. So Oh, yeah, true. It's, true, it's different yeah. experience. I don't know. This, I mean, I can't wait. But I think, like you said, the big thing is going to be around trying to get the selection right. There's no doubt about it with Freddie Stewart as well at 15. He was classic mm. at the weekend. Oh, every game he's played, he's brilliant. So, Yeah, I'll be there at the game with my Leicester hat on. My heart wants Leicester to win 100%, but my head is saying Leicester are slightly too good. I just think they'll have a little bit too much. It'll be, um, it'll be an unbelievable game. The atmosphere will be phenomenal. The Leicester fans will travel in their droves. There's plenty knocking around. You know, the Midlands of Irish descent as well. And for me, yeah, I'm going to go Leinster by three points. Ooh. And I hate to say that because I want Leicester to win. And I'll be there with my Leicester cap on, employed by Leicester at the weekend, loving life. Will you have your Leicester bra on or not? Because they've got them ones in the shop, them frilly ones. Will you have that on? 36 double Ds, mate. Definitely. Well, if we are. Jesus Christ, you've shrunk. La Rochelle Montpellier. Not overly bothered. What do you mean you're not bothered? Why are you being horrible? Montpellier, they've got, we've got friends of the show in Montpellier. Yeah, but not... It was shit when I was there for a year. I'm going to go La Rochelle, but I ain't bothered either way. Yeah, I think La Rochelle, they've got too much power. Obviously, they got to the final last year. You know, when you've come that close. Montpellier, people complained about the luck that they've had. Their luck might run out this game. And Racing Sale. A lot of people thinking Sale can beat Racing in Paris. Who's saying that? Austin. Really? <laughs> <laughs> And he's normally pretty good with analysis. I can't see it. Discipline has been awful for sale. We're talking about one of the biggest teams in the world in Racing at home. Just power. A lot of French players in that against a team like Sale who are struggling to make top eight at the minute for the Prem. So when you look at it like that and you say it out loud, it's going to be difficult. But I like Sale. I love Al Sanderson. They've not been amazing this year. So... Uh, I think it's a foregone conclusion. I hope it's not, but it's great to see Sale in the quarterfinals. Let's say that. Yeah, it is. Uh, the big point of difference is AJ McGinty, isn't it? If he's there's a there's a rumor that he may be getting coming close to fitness. If he's fit, they have got a chance. If he's not, I can he see at all how they can beat them over there? Yeah, you know, with the talent they've got in the back line, Vakatawa has come back. He's firing again. Imoff, Chavancy, Finn Russell. You know, you start talking about that with the ill-discipline that Sale have shown. They've got the power. I just don't think they've got the spark to to stop this ridiculous racing backline. Teddy Tomer shaved his lid off. And because he shaved it off, he's even quicker. He's scoring tries for fun. So, yeah, it's a canny see Sale winning at all. Right, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. 
Yeah, let's we'll start off in the lower reaches of the English rugby pyramid. And we're going to the third 15 at Heaton Moor RFC. And specifically Mike Ireland, their forward, who had the pleasure of playing with seven of his sons at the weekend. Mike is a father to seven lads, I mean, swordsmen. And their whole forward pack was the Ireland boys. Mike Ireland played with seven sons. How good's that, Jim? Unbelievable. When I saw it, I was like, fair play. Have you got through having seven kids? You might have more, I don't know. There could be some sisters, there might be some more brothers. Forget the rugby. I got four kids, I was like, I tip me out, lift up my slipper, and I tip that as well. Yeah, so fair play, Mike Island and Heaton Moore RFC. You get a shout out this week, the third 15, massive. Yeah, what else was good? England women, the Red Roses, won the Grand Slam again this weekend. It was their 23rd victory on the spin away in France. So a massive shout out to the ladies there. Andy Rowe, we're going to mention a team right now. The Waratahs. Oh, my days. The Waratahs. They get a mention of the good this week. They couldn't win a game in 2021. But this weekend, they beat the Crusaders. How shit are you Crusaders, Fish? Oh, we were playing with 13 men. It was our B team. We'll be fine. We'll still win the comp. Don't worry about it. Arrogance. Absolute arrogance. Anyway, shout out to the Waratahs beating the Crusaders 24-21 at the weekend after not winning the game in 2021. What else is good? Toulon get a mention this week, probably off the back of Jim Hamilton's trip there last week. So Toulon fans, you're welcome for Jim coming over to see the monster Etzebeth. Uh, they were bottom of the top 14 a few months ago, but they beat Bordeaux away this weekend, 29 points to 16 to move into the top six and the playoff places. So uh, Jim, your influence just knows no bounds you're welcome again there we go talking of, of jim hamilton and some of his ex-teams gloucester get a mention in the good this weekend spanking bath 64 points to nil it was pretty much a training run they played well it was basically like a game where you used to do the starting team against the second team and the second team are holding bags because bath just didn't want to tackle did they jim no andrew they didn't yeah the scoreline says that andrew and um 64, basically 100 nil. Yeah, call it 100 nil. Anyway, shout out to Gloucester. Some brilliant stuff there. I thought Mark Atkinson was ridiculous as well. Uh, sticking with the theme of Jim Hamilton and his ex-team and his ex-teammates, Max Malins gets a mention this week. Four tries in Saracen's hammering of Worcester Warriors away from home to be top of the try-scoring charts for the Premiership this year. So well done to Max with two rounds to go. Can he hold on to it? Talking about try-scored and Jim. It's all about you, this is Jim. It is literally all about you. What have I done? What an ex-teammate of yours. We, we spoke about him earlier. Chris Ashton. Of course he gets a mention in the good this week. He doesn't win it, but he gets a mention in the good this week. Hat-trick at the weekend against Bristol's, taking him top of the try-scoring charts in Premiership Rugby history. Three clear. His next target will be 100 tries. He just needs to find a contract for next year to do it, maybe, unless he can squeak in another five before the end of the season. But the good this week can only go to one man, and it was the scene at Welford Road. At the weekend, Tom Youngs gets the good this weekend, retiring from a monumental stint at Leicester Tigers. He led them out at the weekend with his daughter. There wasn't a dry eye in the house when everyone could see the emotion and everything that that man's done for Leicester Tigers over the years he's been there. So Tom Youngs, sadly retired, but what a career he's had, what an impact he's had at a rugby club, not only on the field, but off the field with his teammates and his leadership and hopefully their life off the field, back on the farm now with Tiff and the, the kids will be as uh, peaceful as it can be. The bad, a few bits of bad this week. Going to start off with um, the Crusaders, Andy Rowe. What? You've already had them in the good. No, I didn't have the Crusaders in the good. I had the Waratahs in the good. The Crusaders 
getting a mention in the bad this week. Absolute arrogance from Kiwis. What a surprise. Uh, they rested a few against the Waratahs, but then lost 24-21, and then you blame the ref and 13 men and all this mm. stuff. So. Robertson out. No, 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 no. Well, yeah, actually, we'll have him for England. How about that? You need all the help you can get. Uh, what else is bad? The Dragons, Jim Hamilton. Didn't see it. Did not see it, but we'll let me tell you about it. They lost 23 points to 18 to Zebra. Oh, I know that. Who have lost their last 27 games in the URC. Imagine being the coach or the assistant coach or the forwards coach or the defence coach. Who are you blaming there, Jim? Someone's got to take the blame. I reckon you blame Stuart Hooper. That's... <laughs> I don't hoops. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm saying Luke Narraway. Anyway, shocker from the Dragons losing to Zebra. They hadn't won a game since February 2021. So, um, yeah, the Dragons, it just gets worse. What else was bad? I'm going to put one of my old teams in the bad this week, James. Brief. Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't. I just guessed. Yeah, good guess, James. Uh, they lost 27-10 at Perpignan. And they now sit only three points above Perpignan in the league with two games to play. That 13th team in the top 14 ends up having to play a playoff game against a team from Pro D Dust. So uh, a massive loss for Breve at the weekend away from home. And Perpignan will be trying to catch them up over the next couple of weeks. Uh, what else was bad? Spain. Oh, yeah. Saw that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we talked them up a few weeks ago without knowing. Said how great Spain was as a country. We're happy to come out for a live show and... You know, Spanish rugby is huge now and you've made the World Cup. Well, not so much, guys, because you cheated. I'm just going to use the word cheated. From what I'm hearing, they knew about it as well. They've been booted out of the World Cup after fielding another ineligible player in Gavin Vanderberg. Sounds Spanish, that name, doesn't it? It does, yeah, it does. I think his middle name is Paella, though, so it's he's Spanish. It's fine. Anyway, uh, it's the second time they've done this, as there was the same issue in 2019 when themselves and Belgium didn't make the World Cup either because they fielded ineligible players. So Romania are getting the spot in the World Cup in 2023. And that means that Scotland are probably going to lose another game because they're in Scotland's group. <laughs> and Romania, it could be the, the the gateway to open up the playoff game between the bottom team and the Six Nations and one of the top teams in Europe. So yeah, Spain, apparently I spoke to someone last week and they were like, they, they knew he couldn't play, but they still went ahead with it. So the Spanish Rugby Federation, people aren't happy with them. So that gets a mention in the bad this week. I'm sure with the Spanish stuff, I don't know how much money that's worth, but I, t I tell you, I say it every single time, admin will get you. Admin will get you. <laughs> there we go. But the bad this week can only go to one team, one place, one rugby club who have gone from being half decent back in the day to an absolute shambles at the weekend. Bath rugby, they were embarrassing in their performance. They lost 64-0 to their nearest and dearest in Gloucester, a shocking performance. No pride in the jersey. Some blokes walking around the field, not making any effort. Bath, you get the bad this week. Then the ugly. A few bits of ugly, actually. Uh, we're going to start off with Danny Kerr getting his sixth yellow card of the season against Saints, which sets a new premiership record, surpassing Gareth Archer, who got five once for Bristol, and to do it with one for dissent in the last minute as well. Just too much chat, eh, Jim? Yeah, Andrew, it was, yeah. How many yellow cards did you get in the season? You must have had a few. Or was it more A-League? See, it's all smoke and mirrors. Mine weren't yellow and red cards. Mine were just ridiculously stupid penalties. That's what it was. <laughs> okay. Three or four. There we go. But the ugly this week goes again to Super Rugby. Uh, another three red cards in six Super Rugby games this weekend. We'll start off with Hamish Dalzell for an awkward high shot on Michael Hooper. We're going to follow that up with Sammy Penny Finau for a reckless high shot on Fraser McRate and Ray Nuu. 
He's definitely getting the ugly this week. Uh, he's only just returned from a suspension. He was sent off again for a last-minute shoulder to the head of Christian Leleofano. So um, sort it out, guys. The Crusaders are shocking. <laughs> You're giving red cards up left, right and centre. Sort your tackle techers out, boys, because it's here to stay. Thanks, Goody. Thanks for that. And you guys have got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, thanks to everyone for all the shout-outs people send in. And we've got a lovely one here. And it's for all the men and women's teams competing in the Bill Beaumont and Jill Burns County Championship, which are back after a two-year absent because of the pandemic. It starts this Saturday, the 7th of May, with Yorkshire away to Northumberland and the finals at Twickenham on the 4th of June. So it'll probably be sunny, lads. And it's great to have the competition back for the men and the women's. Yeah, big shout out as well to Mark Skittles Skinner for winning the Andy Good Award at his end of season dinner. How good is it that people name awards after me? What is that? A curry? It's either top drinker, top point scorer, or just the guy that never trains but rocks up on a Saturday and gets MOMs left, right and centre. I can't work out which one it is. But anyway, Mark Skittles Skinner won the Andy Good Award at the end of season dinner for basically religiously turning up half an hour late to every single training session all season and avoided all cardio training. Basically, didn't do much, but rocked up on a Saturday and played exceptionally well. So well done to Mark Skittle Skinner, you hero. I wonder if he'll get curries. That's his prize or award or whatever. Kebabs, mate. Kebabs. Kebabs. Oh, gosh. Yeah, we shouldn't be encouraging people to follow your lead, Andrew, but well done, Mark. And a shout out to Whitchurch, Minis and Juniors as well. They're under 12s, under 14s and under 15s all won the North Mids Cup final in a massive day for the club. We've also got a big well done to Keswick for getting promoted as well. Uh, to Stoke Old Boys RFC from Cov. Actually, no, mate from Stoke. He was loose as a goose. Ryan Whitehead. Uh, we're celebrating their 100-year anniversary this week. And to Leicester Vipers, Andrew, the Colts who were playing in the County Cup final at Welford Road today and Tuesday, 3rd of May. So that is when the pod gets released. So big well done. They might have won by the time people listen to this, or lost, I mean, or drawn. I don't know if you can draw a cup game. But anyway, good luck to you all. Yeah, and a massive shout out to Biggles Wade under-14s and their coach, Toby Innes. They were disappointed to lose in the Bedfordshire Cup at the weekend, but they won the Hearts and Middlesex Junior League over the season. So a big shout out to all the boys from Biggles Wade under-14s. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. And thanks, producer Tristan. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rupee spot. Spot a pod, 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 pod. pod.